0: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, this is the last full week of chapel, and looking at the cal- calendar is a little bit surreal. But it's uh, really a very special week in chapel. Uh, Wednesday we will have our second and last uh, senior testimonies, um, so please come out for those. Uh, Beatrice Bracken, and who who's joining B? Who is it? Hunter. Hunter and Beatrice. Hunter Rasmussen and Beatrice. Um, and then Friday, Friday, we're going to have a special. Uh, Bob Harbert is going to be in chapel on Friday. Uh, he's going to be speaking to us and sharing um, about the last year of his life. And uh, I think it's going to be a really special time, so come out. But today, uh, we have the privilege of having Dr. Herb Ward with us uh, speaking in chapel. Yeah. Um, You know, we all know Dr. Ward, but sometimes we forget that he was once a practicing lawyer, that he was a missionary with Mission to the World in East and South Africa, um, that he teaches biblical studies now, we shouldn't forget that. But um, Dr. Ward loves people, and he loves Jesus. Uh, He is wise, and he is kind, and he has, I believe, the true spiritual gift of encouragement. Uh, It's people like Dr. Ward who make Covenant the special place that it is. Uh, he has a wife, Kathleen, uh, children, Laura and David, two Labrador retrievers. Um, but we love him and we're grateful that he's willing to come and bring God's Word to us. So can we welcome Dr. Herb Ward?
1: Good morning. Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, please? going to be reading verses 10 to 20. Listen carefully. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Pray with me. Father God, how we pray that in these moments, your Spirit would work by and with your Word to renew our courage and to give us eyes to see the battle that rages all around us, that we might stand in the day of trouble, trusting by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, as our King and Captain and Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen. The whistle blew. I got the takedown. I always got the takedown. That was the only thing I was really good at. Uh, Never quite sure what to do after that. Um, I was controlling my man. This was just a a practice wrestling match. Uh, We had had a pretty grueling practice that day, junior year of high school, and the coach said, "Let's, uh, let's give it a run. Let's try it out. And I was assigned uh, to Larry. Larry was two weight classes above me and three inches taller. And I should have thought about this before the whistle blew. And I knew what he was going to do, because this is what you do if you've been taken down. You explode in a sit-out. And so I was waiting for it. What I didn't realize is that Larry was somehow related to Superman. Superman. He was made of coiled steel, and when he exploded in that sit-out, he swept my right arm away with such power and such speed that he threw it right out of the socket. And that was the end of my wrestling career. <laughs> Beloved, it pays to know your opponent before you begin to wrestle. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, has been talking about the glorious unity that we have in Christ, Uh, he's prayed in chapter one that they would know the hope to which they've been called, that they would see the glorious inheritance that the Lord has in the saints, that they would experience his mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead, and that through the work of the Spirit, they would begin to recognize the implications of union with Christ. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, In chapter 4, he talks about the need to put off the old man and to put on the new man, to walk in the light, in the power of the Spirit. In chapter 6, he has a few last words for the church and for us as well. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul says that we're being called into a wrestling match with spiritual forces, and my concern this morning is that because of our particular worldview, what Paul Hebert, missionary anthropologist, has called the flaw of the excluded middle, that we have somehow taken this to be metaphor, that we really haven't understood it to be speaking of present realities ongoing in our lives as we speak so we're not ready for battle, we're not aware of who our adversary is. C.S. Lewis, in the preface uh, to the screw Tape Letters, which I really encourage you to read, uh, you owe it to yourselves uh, to have read that at some point during your time here at the college. Lewis says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight." Well, I doubt there are any magicians among us, but that we live as if the spiritual world didn't exist seems to be often the case. So this morning, I just want us to think about this battle of which we are a part Um, and to remind you of two very simple things that the Apostle Paul brings up. First of all, know your adversary. If you're going to wrestle with him, you need to know who he is and what he's capable of. And secondly, know your armor and put it on. First of all, know your adversary. Verse 12, Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is trying to help the Ephesians understand that behind the scenes, in the world that is not visible to our eyesight, there are forces at work that are bent on the destruction of the church and obstructing the progress of the gospel among the nations. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, and 8 that we're to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us, recognizing that our adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour so, Paul identifies these um, as being forces, and he gives them different names, and the, the idea there is not for us to begin to try and rank them, much less to try and engage in what some have called strategic level prayer warfare by seeking to identify the demon that has authority over Lookout Mountain, or perhaps even Covenant College, or Chattanooga, and to, to seek to discern their name and to bind them in the Lord. Paul says nothing about that. He simply says, be aware that there are spiritual forces, and they are active, and they never sleep. So, stay alert. Know your enemy. Be prepared. These forces often, as Walter and Wink observed, work through a systemic institutions within our cultural context. So, they work through the economic process, and they work through the political process, but they are not, as Wink suggests, to be identified with that. Rather, these are demonic forces who function under Satan as our adversary. They do so under divinely imposed limits given by God, but they are fearful and terrible and we need not to underestimate them. Paul says, know who they are. The Scripture speaks a lot about our enemy and what he's capable of doing. Paul often writes about having been hindered by the enemy. Um, We're told that he's a liar, and so we should expect that when he whispers in our ear that he's going to be telling us lies about the gospel. He is a murderer, the father of murderers, Uh, He oppresses the saints through His demonic forces. That can come through all kinds of avenues. It can be uh, through discouragement. It can be through doubt morphing into unbelief. It can take the form of uh, His leveraging our physical and emotional and mental weaknesses, plunging us uh, under God's permissive will, plunging us into depression or anxiety or into fearful things. In East Africa, where Kathy and I used to live and work, uh, he tended to work in very spectacular ways. In a culture steeped in the occult uh, with a emphasis on traditional religious practice, sometimes his works were fairly spectacular. Here in North America, he tends to work much more subtly. You see, if he can simply neutralize us, Uh, by getting us to spend our lives on trivialities, by convincing us that there's no urgency about the gospel or about following Christ, if He can get us to be ingrown and arguing with each other about uh, important doctrinal distinctives so that we don't have our eyes focused on the missional calling that God has placed on our life, if He can do that, then we're not much of a danger to His plans for North America. But when we begin to move out in the power of the Spirit, when we begin to proclaim the Word in all of its richness and fullness, uh, sometimes it may feel as if He's drawn a target on our backs. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. Uh, He is not omniscient. He can't be everywhere at all times. He works within divinely ordained constraints, but within those constraints, he can wreak havoc. And sometimes it feels as if all the forces of hell have turned on us. If you read the Puritans, and I would recommend uh, two books one, Richard Sibb's Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, and William Gurnall's The Christian in Complete Armor, nearly 700 pages on these 10 verses. But exploring all of the ways in which the enemy can attack us. Puritans of old spoke of sometimes having unbidden blasphemous thoughts. Others spoke of feeling tangible presence of evil powers in the room. Luther threw his inkwell at the devil. Others have spoken of dreams in which they felt that they were being attacked by demonic beings it's important to recognize two things. One, that he can mimic genuine illnesses. The consultation by the Lausanne Committee on Spiritual Warfare, who uh, wrote a, a wonderful, helpful booklet, it's in the library called Deliver Us from Evil, spoke about the fact that before we attribute things happening in our lives to the enemy, we need to be careful to rule out possible physiological Or psychological or psychiatric causes. So, for example, someone who's experiencing a late adolescent onset of bipolar disorder might, while in a manic phase, uh, have hallucinatory uh, or auditory delusions. Someone who is experiencing the onset of schizophrenia could experience these things as well. Those who have undergone great trauma in their lives may be experiencing um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And traumatic dreams are part of that disorder, and it's not unusual uh, for kids who have grown up in Christian context to try to make sense of that uh, by attributing it to the enemy. And I'm not suggesting that the enemy doesn't play on our weaknesses, only that we need to get competent advice from a respected and trusted medical advisor and from a godly and wise counselor to discern whether what is happening is physiologically rooted and could be addressed through medical intervention or whether it is truly an assault of the evil one. How cruel would it be to persuade someone that their condition, which might be treatable, was simply an enemy attack. But having ruled those things out, we're left with the reality that sometimes the battle is fierce, and the fires are hot. And Paul wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be ready. That's why he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Be aware that there are forces abroad on this campus and in this world that are determined to derail your faith if it be possible. That will use every opportunity to leverage our indecision, uh, to leverage our unwillingness to pursue Christ with our whole heart, to try and terrify us and to scare us into irrelevance. We understand that this is real, but what we must understand is that Jesus has already defeated the enemy. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 that he has nailed these principalities and powers to the cross, John says in 1 John 3, 8, that Jesus came in order that he might destroy the works of the devil. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus died in order to destroy the one who holds the power of death. And under God, Satan does hold the power of death. Michael Green says, death is, accordingly, the supreme focus of Of these enemy forces. They smell of death. They revel in it. They spread it. But here's the thing, they cannot ultimately touch the heart of the believer. If you are in Christ, you are not able to be demonized. If you are in Christ, you cannot be what some used to refer to as demon possessed. That would deprecate the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has taken a hold of you by faith, You are in Christ. You have the Spirit of God indwelling you. And the words of Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, could not be more true in this context. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As believers in Christ, we are safely and securely held in His hands. So that when times of attack come, what we need to do is we need to rest in the power of the gospel. I've told some of you that Kathy and I have some godchildren in South Africa. Uh, Her best friend asked if we would agree to be guardians for these children, if anything ever happened to, to her and her husband. And when we agreed there were two kids, now there are eight. So we pray regularly that they will be well. Um, but the oldest is named Matthew, and I call him Saint Matthew. He's actually kind of in a theological college uh, seminary now in his first year. But when he was five, he was overheard praying before he went to bed. Dear Lord, you know the monster under my bed is beyond my control. Please deal with it as you feel best. Amen. And he rolled over and went right to sleep. Now you're all saying, "Oh, that's cute," but it's theologically profound as well. If you and I are in Christ, and if nothing can take us out of His hands, and if the enemy can throw the proverbial kitchen sink against us, and in the Spirit we will be safe, then we have nothing to fear. And when the attack comes, we resist. We cling to the gospel. We cast our cares upon the Lord, and the enemy flees like the coward he is. Know your enemy, but also put your armor on. If I had all day, which I've been assured I don't, I'd take you through all the Old Testament allusions that Paul is working out here. It's really amazing. He says, "'Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore.'" having fastened on the belt of truth. Notice that our posture is essentially a defensive one. We're not to seek out the enemy, but when he confronts us, we are in the mighty power of God to stand firm. And that power, Paul says in Ephesians 1, 14, is the power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him above every ruler and authority and power. These demonic forces are already under the authority of Christ. And in that mighty power, we stand our ground. Fasten on the belt of truth, and this is probably not the sword belt, but more a leathern apron that would have gone around a, a Roman legionnaire's thighs to protect them from sword cuts. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, Uh, not here so much referring to an alien, imputed righteousness, but rather to the ethical righteousness that comes out of the heart of one who is in Christ, pursuing holiness, pursuing justice and righteousness in the Spirit. And having put on shoes for our feet, the readiness given by the gospel of peace, surely Paul here is talking about cherishing the gospel and being ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. And in all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith, uh, that shield that a Roman legionnaire would have carried that would have covered nearly their entire body, which Paul says will extinguish the darts of the evil one. When he fires flaming darts at you, and he will hold up the shield of faith, Paul says, and extinguish them. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word, the rhema of God, Uh, focusing here perhaps on Jesus' spoken words. Remember in those times of attack that Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Precious promises in God's word that we cling to in times of spiritual attack. And pray. Uh, what uh, Kent Hughes has said, the all prayer, all times, all circumstances, for all of God's people. Running conversation with the Lord throughout the day, where we are praying for him to strengthen us by the Spirit, where we're praying that he would rebuke the enemy. That's what you do when the enemy comes against you. You ask the Lord Jesus to rebuke him, and praying that he would enable us to fulfill the work he's called us to do. Peter actually says that we have uh, an angelic seal team that is protecting us while we go about the work of the kingdom. Most of all, keep your eyes fixed on the author and finisher of your faith. Uh, The greatest mistake we could make in a spiritual battle is to give our attention to the enemy, to give him more credit than he deserves. Don't underestimate him, but don't overestimate him either. His doom is sure. The battle has been decided. We're in the last days fighting, if you will, those final conflicts, but the outcome is assured. We know how the story ends. Paul says, pray that we might boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And in a word, uh, we don't need a lot of complex methodologies for dealing with the attacks of the the enemy. What we need is a confidence in the gospel, to know it, to know its power in our lives, and to see the potential for its power in the lives of others. From the gospel, the enemy will flee. So, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And when He throws up all that dirt that He has on you, not Jesus, the enemy, You look him in the eye, as Paul does in Philippians 3, and you say, you don't know the half of it. But I'm not listening to you. I'm going to press on for the high calling of Christ Jesus. You listen to what your Father says about you, that you are deeply loved, that you are um, well cherished, that he has prepared for you in good Uh, in advance the good works that he's called you to do. And you go out bravely and courageously. We go out together, arm in arm. We don't fight this battle alone. We fight it as those who are one in Christ. There's a glorious passage in The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, um, the fields of Cormelan, where Sam and Frodo had passed out uh, after their ordeal at Mount Doom. And you remember that Guahir, the, uh, the eagle, had come and gotten them and taken them to Athelion where they are resting and recovering. And Sam wakes up, and there is Gandalf in this beautiful white raiment. Um, and the story um, picks up from here. Let me read it to you. Sam was caught between bewilderment and great joy. At last, he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed sin Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment, for days upon days without count it fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known, but he himself burst into tears, and then as a sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring, and the sun will shine out the clearer, his tears ceased. The day is coming when our crucified and conquering Savior will return and make everything new, and he will wipe away every tear, and he will consign our enemy the doom that is His. It's for that day that we hope. It's in that knowledge that we stand fast. It's to that gospel that we cling. May God give us strength and grace by His Spirit. Pray with me. Father, by the law of averages, there are those battling the enemy even today, and we pray that You would strengthen their hearts and give them an abiding knowledge of the presence of your spirit of your love shed abroad in their hearts and father that you would make the gospel real to them that with the shield of faith they could extinguish all the attacks of the evil one and father we pray that you would give us hope grounded in our crucified risen and reigning king who will come back to make all things new we pray this in his name amen Now receive the Lord's benediction. And now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.